Awesome. Hey, thanks to the team here, everybody helping with the live stream, and thank you to you, wherever you are. Maybe you're sitting on a beautiful sandy beach somewhere with a phone watching this. Maybe you're at the top of a mountain in Switzerland in a chalet. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, you're probably sitting in your, in your uh, underwear on a couch in Eugene, Oregon. That could also be where you are, but we are happy and excited to be together, gathering, worshiping God, enjoying his presence, and listening to corny jokes from Pastor Jake. So it all comes together bundled. Well, I want to say welcome to Joy Church Online. Uh, yes, we're going to be excited to get back together, worshiping in the same room, uh, uh, fist bumping and high-fiving and all of that. But I just want to encourage you that there is no uh, shutdown of the church. There is no shutdown of the mission of Jesus. There is no shutdown of the Spirit of God. And so God is working in the atmosphere uh, of your life and wherever you are right now. So I'm so excited to be with you today. Real quick before we jump into the message, I want to give a couple of quick announcements. Um, this first one, I want you to just lean in and listen real quick. Don't, don't tune out this part because this is absolutely huge. This is a, a brand new thing that we're doing at Joy Church, and we're changing everything about Sunday. Uh, what we're going to be doing is starting today, right after service, the minute I say done and run off camera, you can go to joyeugene.com live, and here's what we're going to do. We have these brand new groups. They're called Connect Groups, and we're changing Sundays from just being something that you just watch to now something that you participate in. So if you noticed last week, we kind of shortened up the service and we're gonna shorten it up today so you can hold me to that. We're shortening up uh, the whole uh, service time. And what we wanna do is get people, everybody that's here watching, everybody on this to go right into a connect group and connect with others and begin to uh, discuss the message and how you can apply that. So we're really m making that move from spec spectating to participating. So just to give you that real quick, just to be very clear, right when the service ends, and I'll remind you at the end, go to joyeugene.com live, and on that page, you're going to find connect groups that are going to be open today, right after service. You can pop right in there, and you can start uh, building together, connecting together, relating together. It's going to be really awesome, so don't miss out on that. Jump right in. We're going to do that every Sunday from here on out. Number two announcement is that there are opportunities this week to serve at our new project at the former Skate World building. So if you don't know this, Joy Church, we have together as a church community purchased the former Skate World building, and it is absolutely amazing what is going on in there. If I was just in there yesterday, and uh, there's, uh, it's all framed on the inside. The, the first phase of the building is all framed in. And one of the things that we're doing right now is we need volunteers to come help with insulation. So uh, we're going to post information about this in the Joy Eugene group, public group, on the page, and all of that. But every evening this week, from about 4.30 until about uh, 7 or 8 o'clock, you can get your gloves, get your mask. We're going to socially distance, but we're asking for volunteers to go and help uh, install insulation in the walls. It's not a super technical, hard job, so you can do it. But every evening this week at the former Skate World building, and again, we'll post details in the groups, but we do need volunteers so that we can get our building ready to go and uh, be ready to move into that when all of this uh, pandemic stuff is over, okay? So we're really excited about that. Uh, real quick before we jump into the message, we have an opportunity today to give to the Lord. And uh, it's our value. It's one of the ways that we worship God. It's not just through singing. It's not just through the reading of Scripture. But it's actually taking the action of putting our resources, our finances, and giving what God's given us, giving a portion of that back to Him, and so that is our right and our privilege as followers of Jesus to do that. And I want to invite you right now to participate in that. 
We have lots of ways to make it easy to give, but the easiest way is to go to joyeugene.com slash give. That's joyeugene.com slash give, and you can set up text to give, give through your bank, through a credit card. I think you can send a carrier pigeon. I think I told that joke last week, but it still works today because you weren't listening last week, right? So you can give in all those ways, and uh, that's, that's how we continue to practice biblical generosity even through this time. Man, God is doing so many incredible things beyond just what he's doing through our church here in our community. We give to missions, to church planting, uh, to, to projects all around the world, and even projects in our local community, and God's doing great things through that. So let's pray for that. Father, I thank you that we are your disciples, we are your followers, and we practice biblical generosity. We know that all that we have is not ours. We are stewards of what you've given to us, stewards of those blessings. And Lord, we get even more blessed as we give. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so Lord, we trust you with our finances. Lord, we know that many people are going through hardship. Many people are going through loss of job, loss of income. But Lord, the government, our job, our skills, those are not our providers. You are our provider. And so we trust you with our resources today. In Jesus' name, bless the gift, bless the giver in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to jump right into the message. And last week, we kind of introed a new series called Beyond Survival. Because right now, the mindset, maybe you've been this way, and I've kind of been this way for the past few weeks, this mindset of I've got to get through this. I've got to somehow get through this time, this crisis. Maybe for you, it's the boredom. Maybe for you, it's fear uh, because you're afraid of getting sick or afraid of for your loved ones. Maybe for you, it's this loss of income or the economy or whatever's going on. And so this time, it could be a time where you're really thinking about survival. And a lot of people are thinking about that. But the problem is when we have a mindset that is only about survival, we lose sight of the big picture. Because as human beings, you weren't just, we weren't just created to survive. We were created to thrive. We were created to shine. We are made in the image of God. If you go back in the biblical narrative all the way to the book of Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, he says he creates them in his own image. This is in Latin, the Imago Dei, the image of God. And what it means is we are a reflection. We're like mirrors and God's glory and his goodness and his purpose for creation shines on his image bearers and they shine it out and reflect it into creation. Now that's kind of like, whoa, that was a big statement right there. Yes, it is. But here's the thing. <clears throat> the, the purpose of humanity, what you were made for, is not just to be time plus sign plus chance, just kind of go through life to get ahead, get by, get even. That's not what you were made for. You were made for this grand purpose. And I think at bottom level, most of us really connect with that. We recognize that our, our life has purpose and meaning beyond just simple survival. And this is reflected in the fact that when we get our survival needs met, when you have enough money, when you have a place to lay your head at night, when you have enough food on the table and you've got your cap and crunch and your favorite spoon and you're good, right? You're, you're settled. You have your Netflix account. Everything's good. You have your survival needs. I don't know if Netflix is survival, but I guess in pandemic it really is. But you get your survival needs met and immediately what happens is you start thinking, how could I improve? How could I grow? How could I start something? How could I help more people because there's something inside of you, this echo of Eden, this thing calling you back to your original purpose that wants to thrive. You want to go beyond survival. And so that's what we're talking about. Because in Christ, that is your portion, not just to survive, but to thrive. And maybe you're listening to me today and you go, well, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I'm just checking out this live stream and whatever. I'm just here. Somebody invited me to this. I don't know. But listen, in Christ, your purpose is not just to survive, it's to thrive. 
And I want to invite you to lean in to the words of Jesus and lean in to the message of Jesus to connect with who he's called you to be and created you to be. So many messages and circumstances and experience have come in in our lives throughout your life that have marred uh, your capacity to really thrive, that have kind of damaged you. And you might even know that. It's like I, every time I try to go beyond survival, I sort of hit this invisible lid. It's like I self-sabotage or my limiting beliefs or whatever. And the reality is that Christ can come in and reintegrate you, can bring wholeness and healing and get you back on this path to become the person you were made to be all along. So that's what we're talking about, is moving beyond survival, moving into a life of thriving, being the people that God has called us to be. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is a, a letter that was written to a church in the city of Ephesus in ancient Greece, uh, in, in, uh, in Turkey actually is where it is, the modern Turkey. The apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, and, and he wrote it to this church in Ephesus and we call it Ephesians. And he said this, and I think this is so powerful in chapter 2 verse 10. He said, for we are God's masterpiece. I just want to linger on that word for a second because maybe right now you're listening to me and you go, yeah, gosh, you kind of sound like Tony Robbins, like you're supposed to thrive. Ooh, get a hold of your mind. Like, no, I'm not doing like guru mumbo jumbo with you. This is about worldview. We're talking about you either are a creation of God with intrinsic worth and value and purpose embedded in who you are as a human being, or you're just time plus slime plus chance, Okay. But Paul says here, and, and I believe this with all of my heart, and I think you do too at root level because you cry out for thriving, not just surviving. He says, we are God's masterpiece. In other words, you were lovingly and fearfully crafted and made. It wasn't like a, you're not a throwaway thing. You have worth and value. Maybe other people have thrown you away. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But God didn't throw you away. God didn't abandon you. In fact, he, he crafted you lovingly in the first place. And listen what Paul says. He says, he has created us anew. In other words, he went through this recreation process, did the work once, did it again, right? In Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What do those words mean? They mean purpose. They mean impact. They're talking about a track of life, right? Something that we're called to do. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Yesterday, I sat down with my son, Jack, and he needed some help with Lego uh, his Legos. And so uh, I sat down and we were building this helicopter, you know, and, and it had been broken apart, but it, but it had kind of the, the look of its original design to it, okay? But pieces were in the wrong spot and had been put together and we kind of thought it was an airplane, but then we got the design, we got the instructions, right? And I am like one of those people that I need the instructions. I don't want to like freestyle build it. Um, all I end up coming out with when I freestyle build Legos is like a, a box of multicolors, right? And the, the lid doesn't work. You, you guys know what I'm saying. And then eventually I step on it in the middle of the night and have to fight cussing, you know? <laughs> That's what Legos are all about. But I had the instructions, and so we're looking at it, and we find out it's not an airplane, it's a helicopter. We get back to original design, and we, we are recreating, okay? We are recreating what it's meant to be. This is what happens when you connect with Christ is you begin to get recreated, okay, to be who you were called to be all along. And many of us, we think of ourselves as this weird amalgam of Legos sticking out one way. We've been broken. We've been shattered. We've been tossed aside. We think of ourselves in this marred sense. And, and so we, we don't quite get the picture. But when we get connected with Christ, we go, oh, what I thought was my 
you know, this weird thing about me, I was made this way for a reason, to connect with a certain type of person. I was made this way to do a certain type of thing. That is what is being talked about here. And so as we go through this time of crisis, we face this question, is it possible to thrive even in the midst of crisis? Even with everything as it is, and let's be honest, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. We're just hearing about people suffering in the state of New York. And and I I want us to pray. I mean, I I know here in the state of Oregon, we've got some suffering, but we're not at the same level as other places and then other countries in the world, even much, much more than us. And there are bad things going on. This is a time of crisis, okay? Let's not Pollyanna it or try to gloss it over. There are problems and real things and real suffering going on. So then why are we talking about thriving? Is it even possible to thrive in the midst of crisis? I believe that it is, absolutely. We talked about that last week, that thriving isn't about circumstances. It's about who you are connected with, about connecting with Christ. Today, I want to explore another angle of this. What about thriving when other people do you dirty? What about thriving when other people treat you wrong? And maybe right now, you're not only going through crisis and having a hard time in life with what's happening now, but maybe also simultaneously, you have people mistreating you. You know, a friend of mine posted a video on Facebook of this man that had sped into their street and the neighbors were coming out to protect the kids that are all playing because this guy was like, you know, driving recklessly. And my friend is going, hey, you know, and he, ha- he has his camera going because this guy's shouting at neighbors and it's this kind of scary situation. And the guy turns and he goes, I'll kill you. He added some other color words in the middle of it, but I will kill you. And it was like so shocking, you know, to hear that. And being mistreated, this violence, this aggression that's going on. Maybe in life right now, you have people mistreating you. Maybe uh, in your past, people have mistreated you. Can you thrive? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. Thriving is not about how others treat you. Thriving has nothing to do with how others treat you. For one simple reason, you have no control over what others do to you, but you do have control over how you respond. And we're going to talk about that in a second. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I went to Grace Christian School in Medford. Any, uh, any Grace Christian School kids can, you know, shout it out, give some thumbs up on the Facebook or something. But I would run up to our playground teacher, uh, playground monitor, Mrs. I think her name was Mrs. Garrett or Mrs. Garrettson. I don't quite remember because it was 30 plus years ago. Dating myself a little bit here. And I would, I, would, I would always play with my friend Ethan. And so I would say to Miss Garrett, Miss Garrett, Miss Garrett. And I was telling on other kids that were mistreating us, you know, taking our four square ball or whatever they were doing, whatever they were doing wrong. Of course, we were never wrong. It was always the other kids. And I would say, me and Ethan were doing, the, you know, such and such a thing. And she would go, is Ethan mean? What? Is Ethan mean? What? You said mean Ethan. No, I didn't. I said me and Ethan. And then she was correcting my grammar. Okay, Mrs. Garrett, Ethan and I, right? Ethan and I. I feel like I had to deal with that and process that. Miss Garrett, I forgive you for what you did to me. I, I just want to release you. You know, when other people do stuff to you, but no, Ethan was not me. Ethan was my friend. But on the playground, other people were, were doing stuff to us. And I was always running up to the teacher, like t- tattling, right? Telling on them so they could get in trouble. And you know what? We do this as adults, don't we? We run up to our spouse, we run up to our boss, we run up to the person that we think will give us sympathy and we want to tell them about, you know, me and Ethan, me and Ethan were doing this, me and this person were doing that, and then this person came in and they were cussing at me and they were doing this and they, they broke my heart. And, and it's not all jokes. I mean, it's serious stuff. Maybe someone abused you, they left you, they trash canned you, whatever happened. And that's what I'm talking about. That is it possible to thrive when other people do you dirty, when they, 
when they really mess it up with you? And the answer is yes. And here's the reality. If you can't get over what other people do to you, you'll never get ahead in life. You've got to get over to get ahead. You've got to get beyond what other people do. You've got to get beyond what other people think about you and get connected with what God thinks about you. Because at bottom level, every human being, no matter how good, great they are, no matter how sweet they are at one time or another or whatever, or how much you respect them, every human being is flawed just like you. This has been a rude awakening for me in life to recognize that every person, even the people I deeply respect, are flawed human beings. They're sinners. They make mistakes. They act in their own self-interest. They don't always tell the truth. Come on. And that's you and me on a good day sometimes. We, we don't always do the right thing. And so if you put your trust in other people, you think, oh, I'm going to put all my hope and expectation in this person. And I got married and we're going to be in love forever. And every day we're going to wake up and our breath's going to be minty fresh. <laughs> and there'll never be any problems. And nobody will ever hurt each other's feelings. And there'll never be any misunderstanding. <clears throat> If you are operating in life at all with any other humans, even in the middle of a pandemic, people are still doing each other dirty, right? People are still finding ways to be aggressive and hurt each other. And listen, if you can't get over it, and I don't just mean like in some kind of, again, mental, like guru, tough-minded way. I'm talking about actually being okay, actually like being over it where it doesn't have control of you anymore. You're never going to get ahead in life if you can't get over what other people do. And here's the principle that I want us to look into today as before we get into the scripture in just a minute. You can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond. This is something that we used to tell our students in our uh, Bible college internship that Bethany and I led. We would say, look, you know, they'd come and say, well, this person did this. We're like, yeah, that's, that stinks. That's, that was pretty bad what they did to you. But you know what? You can't control what other people do to you, but you can control how you respond. And this is the difference between being an empowered or a disempowered person. Empowered people say, I understand that as I drive down the, the lane of life, as I'm going along, other people sometimes are going to swerve into my lane. Other people are going to cut me off. They're going to go too fast, go too slow, right? Metaphorically speaking, people are going to do damage to you. They're going to do the wrong thing. You should anticipate, expect that. You can't control them. You know what's crazy? It's trying to drive someone else's car on the freeway while drive, driving your own. Think about that. If you could physically reach, there are some people that have such a problem with this, they probably would reach over and try to drive your car for you on the freeway. And if you're one of those people, don't raise your hand, just sit silently and act like it's someone else, not me. He's not talking to me. But how many of us get obsessed with controlling what other people do and it's a fool's errand. You can't control what other people do, but you have control over your response. And this is why the fruit of the spirit is self-control. The capacity to say, man, I've been done wrong. Somebody's done something to me. And now I have an option here, a choice. I can get all bent out of shape and do, and do the wrong thing in return, or I can exhibit self-control and do the right thing and end the cycle of pain, hurt, regret, pain, all of it by having self-control. I want to give us an example out of the scripture of someone who responded correctly to God in so many ways in his life, especially in the first part of his life. A man named David. David was the kid that killed Goliath. You're probably familiar with that story. Uh, but David was actually anointed king of Israel as a young man. 
And then he goes and kills Goliath, and he ends up working for the existing king of Israel, Saul, who becomes very jealous of David. Eventually, it gets so bad that David becomes an outlaw. He has to flee for his life. And as he goes and flees for his life, other people that were basically outlaws and on the run start gathering around him. And David is basically roaming around like Robin Hood uh, in in the nation of Israel and ancient uh, Middle East for 13 years. 13 years. Now, how many of us are like, what do you mean we have to be locked down for another two weeks? What do you mean? I've already watched all the Netflix shows. Okay, guys, 13 years of pain, 13 years of being isolated, 13 years separated from your family, 13 years on the run. Now, I've actually been to Israel and seen probably the the region, at least the area of En Gedi, where the caves that we're going to talk about here where David was. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it ain't Club Med. It's close to the Mediterranean. It's not Club Med. It is dry, dusty, brutal, hot rocks and dirt. It is not nice. So if any of you that are like, I love camping, it's great. You don't have a Coleman tent, guys. This is not what we're talking about. They're on the run for their lives. David is on the run for 13 years. And listen what happens in this story. He's in a cave and Saul is roaming around trying to catch him to kill him with his army. And one day David and his men are in the back of this cave. Saul comes in to do his business. I'll just let you figure that out. He starts to use their cave as a bathroom. So he goes in there and Saul is right there doing his business. And David's men are like, oh my gosh, what an opportunity. Our enemy, the one that is causing all of our turmoil and trouble, David, you could just take him out right now. And they're like standing there. David, he, he, he's like, okay, you know, he, he, I'm sure he's like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? He goes up to Saul and he actually cuts off a portion of Saul's robe. You weren't sure what I was going to say, were you? You're like, he cuts off a portion of Saul's robe. He goes back to his men. They're like, why didn't you kill him? In verse seven of 1 Samuel chapter 24, we get the rest of the story. It says, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. And then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you this very day? You can see with your own eyes, it is not true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men actually told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Now, I want to make a a statement here. This is not just a statement about kings. You know, David is making a statement of authority. God anointed Saul as king of Israel. This is about that time and that place. But let's bring it up, you know, thousands of years into our context Every person that you decide to take your vengeance in your hands to strike back at is anointed of God. They have worth and value intrinsically, even if they really messed up royally, no pun intended, right? This is a king that messed up. But even if the people that you are tempted to get back at really messed it up, think about that. Think about this before you really take vengeance in your hands. David says, I will never harm the king. He says, look, my father, at what I have in my hand, it is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you were trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog? or a single flea. David's self-deprecating, like, get off my back. I don't want a piece of you. Why do you want a piece of me? 
And he says in verse 15, may the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. I want you to get those words into your heart, into your mind today. Who do you want to advocate for you? If you get busted for some crime, and I'm not advocating this, but you, you, you want the best lawyer. You want the best defense lawyer. You want the guy to come in with the New York accent and the slick back hair and be like, Your Honor, this is my client. You know, you want somebody who's good. Come on. You want somebody who's money to be your advocate. If you're in trouble, you want somebody in your corner. But here's what a lot of us are doing. When other people are harming us and other people coming after us and other people are doing things to us and they're, they're impinging our ability to, you know, uh, uh, to thrive or even to survive, we like to be our own advocates, take vengeance in our own hands, and we try to be our own advocate. And you know, like old Proverbs says, he that has himself for a physician has a fool for a physician. And it works the same with legal matters. Don't defend yourself, right? Get a good advocate on your side to stand up for you. And David says, the, he is my advocate, the Lord. He's the one who's going to rescue me from your power. Here's the truth out of this. And I believe this can change your life if you will listen and apply it. We either take our life in our own hands or we put our life in God's hands. Those are the options. When we talk about thriving, even in the midst of other people doing things to us, you can't control what they do. So that's a fool's errand. And guess what? If you try to fight back and you try to do evil for evil, right? What happens is you are taking your own life in your hands and you're taking it out of God's. You're taking it away from him. And what I want to advocate for you to do is to say, no, I'm not going to advocate for myself. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to put my life into God's hands. What Jesus said to his disciples is this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to defend yourself, if you try to be the, you know, I'm going to stand up for myself, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. There's this paradox of following Jesus that the path to life, the path to fulfillment, the path to thriving, even when other people do wrong things to you, is to give those things over to the Lord. How do we do that? Well, number one, you make a decision. Right now, today, as a free will human being, you can make a decision. I'm not going to fight my own battles. I'm going to trust in God. And then number two, you can forgive people. And, you, and that's difficult, and I get it. There's people that have been tough for me to forgive in my life. And I'm not, not joking about my playground teacher. She's awesome. No, I'm talking about where people have really done things wrong, and I had to really wrestle with it. But you know what? There's freedom and forgiveness, and you can release other people, and you're not going to thrive until you do. That's just plain and simple because the power of God, his forgiving power in his life can't flow to you until you let go of other people. And Jesus talks about this. So forgiveness is so powerful. We trust God. And this is then the reality that comes, this life that is life and life more abundantly that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. And sometimes that satanic devil destiny comes that thief comes to steal, he comes through other people and what they do to you through abuse, through you know, uh, somebody stealing from you, lying about you, criticizing you, however it comes. And the thief is even using someone else maybe in their pain and their brokenness to try to come and get you. But listen, if you will say, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna fight back. I'm gonna give my heart to Christ. I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna release and do the right thing in, self in, a, in a self-controlled manner. Then this is what you get from Christ. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so back to our thesis question, is it possible to thrive in the midst of 
crisis, is it possible to thrive even when other people do the wrong thing to you? And the answer is yes. When you allow Jesus to be the source of your life, the source of your strength, your advocate. And so today I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. If you're here today and you're watching this, even on replay, you can make a decision. I'm not going to advocate for myself. I'm not going to hold on myself. I'm going to turn my heart and my life to Christ. And if that's you today, even if you are a follower of Jesus, take this moment to make that determination. I'm going to thrive as I release other people, forgive them, let go, and practice self-control through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. If you want to pray this prayer with me to receive Jesus, just pray along. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your perfect standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I put my faith and trust in you, in you alone. And I ask you for the grace to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now real quick before we go, I wanna invite you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you're making a commitment to Christ today for, for, for the first time, I want you to fill out this simple card. All you have to do is text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. Just text the word DECIDED to this number, 541-229-8848. And we're gonna help you take those next steps as a follower of Jesus. Being a Christian is not, it's not like golf. It's a team sport, right? It's not a solo project. It's not just you all by yourself alone with God in this mystical spiritual relationship. No, it's a, you get added to the church, to the body of Christ, the community. And so I want to encourage you to, to get discipled and to get trained and to get equipped to be the person God's made you to be. So please, just in an act of faith, just take out your phone, text that word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. If you're watching today and you'd like to get connected with Joy Church and find out how to become a part of this community and uh, get connected to what God's doing here locally or even if you're, you're somewhere else, then I want to invite you to fill out a welcome home card by texting the word home, okay, to that same number. So you're going to text the word home to 541-229-8848. Awesome. Hey, as we close today, don't forget, right now we're going to go to connect groups. This is now part of our service. We're not going, oh, you know, now service is over and now everybody go. No, we're saying, hey, the, the next portion of our service is now starting. So please go to joyeugene.com slash live and we're gonna continue to connect. We're gonna grow together. You get to talk about this message and what God spoke to you out of it, what he uh, is calling you to do those next steps. So this is absolutely essential for the growth of a disciple to be part of community. So everybody, don't ignore this. Don't go, oh, now it's time to go get a Slurpee. No, right now it's time to go to joyeugene.com slash live, and we're going to connect in our connect groups. God bless you.